0: You're listening to audio from The Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about The Village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. John 12, 20 through 26.
1: Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. Whoever loves his life uh, loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. This is the word of the Lord. You can have a seat, and the kids can be dismissed to their class.
0: Good morning. My name is Michael. I am one of the pastors here. Thanks so much for hanging out with us today. Uh, would you pray with me? And then we will hop in. Father, thanks for the gift of gathering and sitting under your word and being built up, equipped, encouraged, challenged, and, and for sending us out. God, would you show us today that, that your death changes the way that we live and, and your life changes the way that, that we die. And we just thank you for your word. Would you let it build us up in you for your glory and for our joy? In Jesus' name, amen. 100 years, all new people. 100 years, all new people. A simple but extremely profound statement like what exactly is is that statement trying to shine light on trying to illuminate for us it, it seems at once hopeless and hopeful it makes things feel really big when I consider that and it makes things feel really small and I I think Anne Lamott she wrote that uh she intended the line to point out that that we all take things to a little too seriously you know and and I really do appreciate that like like what seems like a big deal today might not be a big deal tomorrow certainly won't be a big deal in in a year or 10 years or, or 100 years, certainly a 1,000 years. And so, so the, the things that, that you know, we worry about or the things that we toil over, like, gosh, they might be smaller than we think. And, and at the same time, like whoever is now won't always be. Whoever's here now won't always be. Just like Jesus tells us about himself in this passage that we're going to look at today, our life uh, as humans, it has limits. There is an an expiration date. Time is short. Our days are numbered. And and Jesus' days on earth were numbered. Uh, George Bernard, he kind of helps us get to the point. Life's ultimate statistic is the same for all people. One out of one dies. Robin from Stranger Things, she says, We all die, my strange little friend. It's just a matter of how and when, right? So we we get that. And and if those things are true, then how we live, that is like what we do today, it, it matters. And making the most out of time matters. And what I do with my days, it matters. And what I live for matters. And who I live for, it matters. It all matters because even if I live a long time according to the dust of this earth, life is short. Man, I, I've seen a ton of those life after people shows. And, and it's like, hey, you know, uh, suppose that everyone's gone starting today. And what happens in 10 hours? And what happens in, in you know, in a year? What happens in, in five years? What happens to this city in 10 years or 50 years or 100 years or 1,000 years? And you see the earth kind of just take back over what man had kind of ruffled with. And they, the, the show will do that uh, for a city or for a, an amusement park. And it will just show kind of life After people, and those are big thoughts and they're humbling thoughts. 100 years, all new people. That has a way of taking us to our end, to our our death, but it also has a way of bringing into focus our life. The life that we live here and now, what life is all of, and life, they play together, and how his death plays out in our life. The big idea, the the death and life of Jesus changes the way we live and die. So as we're looking in John 12, and I just want to read this again. It's a few uh, verses. John 12, 20 to 26. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks, a bunch of people in town, Big Jewish deal, like literally millions of people coming into Jerusalem. And some of the people that had kind of caught wind of what Jesus was up to were not Jews. These are, it's kind of spreading beyond just those who are outside Are like we, we've got to find this guy and see what he's all about. And, and that's Jesus setting up what would happen after he ascended, after he, he died and rose and ascended. Uh, that's him setting up the, the way that the church would ex- extend his kingdom here on earth. So these came to Philip, these Greeks, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and they asked him, sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip's like, I don't know. So Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus, I don't know that he really answers them. I don't know who he's talking to. I don't know if the Greeks are here, but he kind of just goes off a little bit, and this is what he says. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. That's himself, the Son of Man. He's making connection to some words that that happened a long time prior to this. And he's saying, I am the one, I am the Messiah, I'm the coming king, and it's time for me to be glorified. And that's not not a a good thing. It's a good thing for us, but, but he's talking about his death. And then he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And then he declares to us, whoever loves his life for eternal life, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So he's speaking in analogy, and he's using illustrations, just like preachers do, right? We want to declare something, but to illustrate is to show it. Right? And so he's, he's using an analogy and, and he's saying, The hour has come, the end is near. I must be glorified. And, and just as a seed must be destroyed to grow and to produce fruit, I give life. So imagine planting a seed and then something grows out of that. And then a month later, you dig it up and you're like, Okay, I'm going to get that seed. There isn't no a seed, it's completely destroyed. That's pretty simple. It's, the, it's like us saying, you can't have your cake and eat it too. Like once you eat your cake, uh, you grow, but the cake is gone, right? And so you can't have both. And it's literally the same thing. The seed has to die to be destroyed to, to produce life. So Jesus' is, is value to the mission is, is greatly reduced if he doesn't persevere to see his purpose through. J.C. Ryle, he, he sets this up really well in his uh, expository Thoughts on the Gospel of John. That's stuff that I read for fun, see? <clears throat> this is what he says. He says, This sentence was primarily meant to teach the wondering Greeks the true nature of the Messiah's kingdom. If they thought to see a king like the kings of the world, they were greatly mistaken. Our Lord would have them know that, and I want you to hear these contrasts, He came to carry a cross and not to wear a crown. He came not to live a life of honor, ease, and magnificence, but to die a shameful and dishonored death. The kingdom he came to set up was to begin with a crucifixion and not with a coronation. His glory was to take its rise not from victories won by the sword and from accumulated treasures of gold and silver, but from the death of its king. That's what Jesus is is, shining light. That's what he's bringing us into. And so we're going to see three things today. And and the first one is this, self-love costs your life. There's this idea that if we live for ourselves, we will find the fullest life. And it's easy to get there. Like the mega millions this week was like 680 gazillion dollars. And if you just sit in that for five seconds and you think, like, what if? This is where it takes you. Like, if I just have everything that I need, and if I gain more of this life, then like, gosh, man, my life would be settled. And it would be the fullest life. And in fact, it's been argued that the current culture that that we live in, that I'm a part of, is the most selfish, self-oriented, self-serving culture the world has ever known. Well, that's to be determined. We don't get to determine that today. But never has there been a culture that lives so easily. With regard to technologies that make life comfortable, food, shelter, Climate-controlled rooms, entertainment, access to anything without delay. You can lay in your bed and you can say, hey, what's my calendar like today? And there's a voice that will come and tell you. Hey, what's the weather today? You don't even have to, like, look through the blinds. And you know, like, food. preparing food used to be, like, literally, they build their life. For, for the majority of life as humans, building uh, meals was, like, the heart of the day. If you had enough stuff to eat, and now we can make a meal or buy one in 15 seconds if you go to Chick-fil-A, because they're super efficient. <laughs> so, <clears throat> it's, it's easy, and yet, life's not easy. It's really hard. Like, life feels really hard, and, and me telling you, oh, this is the easiest, it's, it's never been easier. Well, yeah, more time to use in unhealthy ways. We have more time to use uh, in selfish ways. The lie that the world would offer is that the more you make of yourself, the more you live for you, the you, uh, the more of this life that you strive to gain for you and your ends, the more you advance self at the expense of others, then the more joy and happiness and fullness of life that you experience. Like, you do you look out for number one. And yet, rock stars and movie stars would tell us otherwise. Like Jim Carrey famously, like, I wish everyone could have everything that they think will satisfy them, because it it won't. Be famous and have all the money, and your life's still going to be hard. It might be worse than you think. So Jim Carrey and Jesus, they cut through that. They cut against the grain, and Jesus, he flips those assumptions into the upside-down kingdom that we get to live in in Christ. Whoever loves his life loses it. You love your life, it's gone. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Stark, one uh, Commentary note said, said here again Jesus speaks in absolute terms to emphasize a point. Whoever loves his life means he who delights in his life in this world more than in God and the things of God. It's a you-centered orbit. Whoever hates his life, like he says this in other places, like if you don't hate your father and mother, you can't be my my disciple. Come and follow me. I have to be the most important thing. Whoever hates his life in this world means kind of, by contrast, whoever thinks so little of his life and so much of following Jesus entails self-sacrifice shown supremely at the cross. So we think that if we go after and we gain the desires of our heart that we find life. And, And Jesus confronts and he flips that notion. He hates, gains life now and forever. How can that be that living for me is actually the thing that undercuts the full life for me? And, and laying down my life, shifting pursuits to, to be others-oriented is actually the thing that brings the fullness of life. Like, how can that be? Jesus is, is setting up the orientation of our hearts in the kingdom of God. It's a reorientation of, of thought and, and of our heart. We are God-oriented first, others oriented as a flow from that, and then self-oriented in our care for, for health and life. We do get to care for ourselves. Now, this is saying that we don't get to do that We do get to be mindful of and and consider what we need and and care for ourselves. But the way that the world prioritizes self-care, it runs against the grain of the kingdom of God. The only way to value our own life by hating it is to live through an even greater life that's, that's been given for your gain. That's what Jesus is setting up. That's what he's that's what he's telling us. Hear me, this is not a call to welcome abuse into your life. It's not, it's not a call to devalue your worth. It's not a call to make foolishly unwise decisions because that's just the way that it is. It's not a call to get walked on because, you know, I just have to hate my life. That, that, that's not what's what's happening is it's not to consider yourself of no value. That's not what Jesus is inviting. It's a call to gaze at your worth through the lens of the sacrifice that was given. This actually gives us more value, not less, and it shapes us for greater joy, not less, as we give our life away. Most people appreciate others who live a selfless life. Like, most people see someone else who, like, lives their life in some sacrificial way and, and you know, like, whether it's on the news, some person, of interest story or, or the TikToker who's talking about whatever uh, selfless way of living he or she does. Or, or you see someone do something that you're like, man, like, like this week, like on uh, Hamilton, uh, the West Side Facebook group, like, hey, to whoever, whoever bought my meal at Taco Bell thinks. Someone, like, posted that. And it's like, okay, that's cool right? Who doesn't appreciate that? Well, I mean, some people, like idiots. Why would they, you know? Like, I get it. But by and large, we appreciate when others are selfless. We just don't like to live that way ourselves. Like, that's the, the human tension, right? The reason why it's fuller to give than it is to receive, that's what you told as a kid, right? You're like, yeah, but Christmas is great because I get things not because I give things, and maybe that flips when you get older, maybe it doesn't. But the reason why it's, it's fuller to give your life than to receive is because of, because of love. Humans are made longing for love. And the most sacrificial expression of love is Christ taking sin upon himself And and giving the status of forgiven and and adopted, prized child. So so we love because he loved. That's the model for what love looks like. In our culture, I could give you right now a a hundred examples, so many stories and 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 of, of this motif that says, one lays down his life for many. And, and maybe it looks like uh, someone you know, distracting the zombies or, or the flying creatures or the bad guys to give just enough time for the others to flee and, and find safety in life. You've seen it a thousand times. Or, or maybe it's the, the pilot making the decision to crash into the alien spacecraft to save the world. And all those things, they're lesser versions of the greatest story, of the greatest sacrifice. All of those losses, they make us sad, and yet they make us compelled. Man, what if I could live that way? His death, our life. That's the pattern. In in his love, it reconfigures us with new hearts shaped for selfless love. We get to live from that love as new creations, which is why Christians should be the most selfless, others-oriented people on the planet. Do you think that's our brand? you know that they know or that they experience or like whatever ah, man the the first thing that comes to mind is just completely selfless others oriented people but here's the thing like you don't have to worry about the world outside in the internet in incessant scrolling you get to worry about you your life your brand in Christ, and it's either Him oriented or you oriented. And we're always fighting the tension of one over the other. And and, and what I would tell you is, is his death, it secures for us a way to live this life that looks like the invitation that He's calling us into. Whoever loves His life loses it. That is our gain. The death and life of Jesus, it changes the way we live and it changes the way that we die. The second thing is, is Jesus, uh, serving Jesus conforms your life. He says just after that, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. This is like a sweet thing. Serve, follow, and here's the thing. You and I, Jesus says to his disciples, thick as thieves. Like we are, we are in this together. And, and certainly I'm, I'm doing the work that amounts to anything and my invitation is for you to be with me in that work. From the time my daughter, she's 13, hey, hi. she was like, um, from the time she was uh, a, a, like a child, we would watch because her dad is a nerd type. Like this show, uh, that I'm her dad. <laughs> um, <laughs> the show, How It's Made, and it's just like manufacturing facilities, you know, <laughs> and like conveyor belts and injection molds and, and dyes and, and different things. It's just, how do you make things like, you know, Pringles and skateboards or whatever, you know, and so uh, the idea is that that there is, in these dyes, there's a a negative space, a a cast, and you put something in that and it takes the shape of that. You know, and, and and it's just the inverse of what it looks like it's the opposite of that kind of desired product or part and so you you add the substance you you have the mold and and you put in the uh you know the the substance and heat and pressure and time and it's all different maybe it's fiberglass maybe it's uh some plastic maybe it's uh they're baking something. It's flour and, and sugar. Maybe it's uh, steel that they melted down. Whatever it is, uh, you put it in there and you add those things, and then you'll have a uh, uh, three dimensional Pringle or skateboard wheel or airplane wing or, as my dad would say, uh, doohickey or chachingoleras. I don't know what those things are, but um, that's what he's saying. Like, be conformed to me, I'll show you what it looks like. And what we get to do is we get to be forged into my image. That's the invitation, to be conformed to him, to serve him, to follow him. And and when we uh, serve and when we follow, we're in this together. So so serving Jesus, it it isn't the beginning of our relationship. There was a time in my life when I thought, like, oh, like I'm a sinner and God is not and like he's going to judge me and hell's to pay and all those things are true. (laughs) Every one of those things are true. But I thought the response was like do better and so serve more and like, you know, whatever. Like, oh gosh, I I just have to do all the things And, and Jesus invites us into a life where serving Jesus, it's not the beginning of our relationship with him. You thought that it was, but it's not. It's a response to understanding that he first served us. That is the good news of the gospel that we get to live in. It's not about you. It's about him, and our life is, is a response to him. Serving is, is fruit of a transformed heart. But as we live out of our new identity and, and, and serving and following, also becomes a tool that continues to sculpt and to forge us. And so it becomes this like new heart, life of serving, and yet when we serve and we do things that we might not want to do, and we lay our life down a little bit, man, by the work of the Spirit, and and the truth of God's Word, and in community with others, we get to be forged by our doing. And that's okay. So as we as we serve and follow, our desires are conformed to put Christ in the kingdom above our own selfish desires. And you can say, well, that's easy. I give and say nice things to people and whatever, but like, there are times when this is just really hard. It's hard to do when, when culture is loud or it's hard to do when, when the right thing is the super costly thing. So what is the purpose of life if it's short and in 100 years all new people and if you're like on the cusp there like that's not a guarantee like it can be 100 and some plus years right what is the purpose of life what is the purpose of your life and, and everyone asked that like what is the meaning of like we, we just sent like a bajillion dollar camera up in space and I I'll, can't wait to talk to you about that some other time Another time, we did that. Why? Like, where do we begin? What is life about? And in what, even the most secular scientist of our day would say, science can tell you what they will never tell you why. And yet we search, and we search for life, other places, and we search for things why to find a purpose, some meaning. Like to make this this speck of dust worth some value. What is it all about? And so, so hopefully, man, if you're in this room, hopefully like there's some light shining onto that for us. No matter where you are in relationship to Jesus. But specifically for those who have been served by this Jesus, we get to ask, what's the purpose of our life in Christ? and you may have been a Christian for 30 years and you've never asked yourself that, then here's the thing. That's going to affect what you do hour by hour and day by day and week by week and month by month, year by year, decade by decade until you're gone. Why do you exist? Our purpose is to be conformed to the image of Jesus. As that happens, we serve, as that happens, we follow, as that happens, we join the mission that he invites us into, as that happens, we we become servants of others, As as that happens, we become proclaimers of Jesus, we actually say words to other people about Jesus that might come at a cost. As that happens, we let our actions and our words point to Jesus as the source of true, full, eternal life for all who might believe. The Bible uses imagery, you know, as, as I said. And, and one of the things that they say repeatedly is, is we, you know, he is the potter and we are the clay. Or he says, I am the potter and you're the clay. What that means is, is at our best, if we could just be a lump of dirt in, in, in mud, in water that we just put onto a table that spins around that at our very best. That's what we are. And the Lord, in His grace, over time, pressure, me add some more water in there, might get thrown into a furnace at some point when you're close to being done. I, I don't know. It's probably an analogy there. He makes us what he wants to make us. This is conformity to his precise purpose for us, his glory, our gain in life and in death. So, so what does it mean to serve and follow Jesus? Like I know, some of you like, just tell us what to do and, and here are some of those things, right? A couple of those things. What does it mean to serve, uh, to, to follow Jesus? It means to know him, well, how do I know them? Well, you're here. That's like a good start. Hang out with people that know them. Hang out with people that want to follow them. That's a really good way to know them. Open the book. And just so you know, like, I open this thing, and, and I spend a million hours every week so I can talk for an hour and a half to you all every week. And beyond that, I try to open this book and, and say, what's here? And you know what? Like, gosh, I'm a pastor. My, I get paid to make this book come to life to you all. And do you know sometimes when I'm sitting in that green chair in the morning in my house and I open the book and I read it and I close it and I say, what was that? Do you know I do that sometimes? I have no idea what that was. And you know what? I don't, I don't have time to figure it out. So like, Lord, would you, would you make that like somehow transform me to look more like you? Do you know that? When people talk about Bibles, they're lying to you. If, if, if they tell you that they just hover out of that green chair or that they, like, just the rest of the day, is, it's just, it's, oh, it's just doing the work. They're lying to you. Does that happen? You better believe it does. But do you know what? I, I think the work in, in knowing him, it's, it's, not, it's not 15 minutes on a hurried work day. It's 20 years of being forged you putting yourself in a place that says, God, I, I, want, I want to know you above all. Not what should I do, not how, could I just know you? And if we seek, if we build our life around knowing him, then you know what? We're going we're to trust him. And as we trust him, we're going to grow in him. Peter, 1st, 2nd Peter, it's written to exiles who were, who were in a bad way. You know what he said to do about it? Grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. That's how, you'll, that's how you'll overcome this. Grow in who I am. Grow in, in who Jesus is. And, and then as we do those things, we get to live a life that points to him. And here's the kicker. Did you know that you, can, that you can be in Christ, a follower of Jesus, and love your life? Find joy in who you are, not in a contrasting way, but you can find joy in being a servant to him and find joy in following him How do I do it? How do do I serve Jesus in in a way that conforms my life? Something like that. And we get to do it together because it's really hard. The last thing is this. A Jesus-conformed life is a God-honored life. So he says, like, what an encouragement. Like, if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. In community group, we normally go through uh, the same focal text that we've been kind of dealing with on Sunday. We apply and kind of wrestle through it throughout the week. But this summer, we've been going through something called the Gospel-Centered Life, and it's, you know, some some good nuggets of stuff. And so kind of going through this thing, and and in one of the sessions, uh, they're talking about, you know, we're processing out loud um, through this exercise kind of heart idolatry, and it's like things that we put above the Lord and, and it's, you know, idol of approval, seeking the approval of others and, and control and reputation and success and security and pleasure and knowledge and, and recognition and, and respect. And our In our group, we just said, hey, like, where's your heart drawn? You know, where, where is it stirred? Instead of the Lord, where do you go? And, and like one by one, like, well, maybe a couple and, and you know, and all these and like, you know, um, and, and everybody was like, well, you know, maybe control, but certainly approval. And then the next person, da 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 and like, well, like, uh, approve, like, we want to be approved of by those around us. And then the next person, like, well, maybe this one and this one, and, and, and approval. And so it was just like, and then at, this, at some point, everybody was just saying that just to get the approval of the people in the room. <laughs> it's true, weren't we, Phil? That's what it was like. <clears throat> nearly every person acknowledges the desire for someone to say, you did it, good work. So deeply baked into us is this idea of approval. Well, well, well done, good job, son, daughter, employee, neighbor, athlete, writer, all the things, well, well done. So, so much is that baked into us that we build our lives around pleasing others. And we, and we, and we do that in bad ways. We, we pretend and we perform. And, and then for me, I say this all the time, I really do care what you all think. And, and when you text me or we have a meetup and you say, hey, like you failed me, gosh. Like I want to throw up. I, I hate that. But do you, do you know who I care about more than you? Myself. <laughs> the, way, the way I work, I, I'm externally motivated. Like, You can talk to my wife. When you hate me, gosh, I hate that, right? <laughs> but I have standards in my own mind that I have to seek my own approval in. That's not good either. And so we we miss in lots of ways. And, And both of those ways, external or internal, both of those ways, they lead to death in a weight that we can't bear. Here we see that the life conformed to Christ is a life that God honors, that God himself honors. That's what we're striving for. And so I want to read something. I know some people are motivated by passionate speeches, and some of you by like articulate content. I'm speaking to all of you, but I'm going for the articulate content here for just a couple minutes, okay? In his book, uh, Beautiful People Don't Just Happen, How God Redeems Regret, Hurt, and Fear in the Making of Better Humans. Scott Sauls, he says this, you got to lock in, you'll drift off. You ready? A paradox both troubling and hopeful. According to Scripture, when we die, we will not be buried in the dirt forever, but will only be planted there for a time. Our mortal bodies, now tarnished by weariness, will be like fertile seeds in waiting. Once resurrected, our bodies will assume all the features of immortality. Full redemption, unending momentum, untarnished flourishing, and imperishable bliss. We are now and forevermore united with Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life. Because he lives and will never die again, the same must be true of us. It must be true provided that we have received the gift of faith. Lock in, we're halfway there. Even the smallest amount of faith in Jesus is plenty. Why is this so? Because it's not the strength, the quantity, the quality of our faith that will get us home, but it's the strength, quantity, and quality of God's immeasurable goodness, grace, and faithfulness that gets us home. Whether our faith is big or small, a constant or constantly needled with doubt, an arena for angst or a refuge for peace, a tiny mustard seed is all that's called for. For it's not our fitness to be saved that seals our standing with Christ, but his fitness to save us. It's not our repentance that leads him to be kind toward us, but his kindness that leads us to be repented toward him. His kindness toward us is tender and gentle and lowly in heart. At the same time, His kindness is filled with earth-shaking, death-defying power. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Because if you do, it changes everything about everything. This is the key to the full life. This is the key to eternal life, the resurrected life, to to any life that is life. Here's the point. Our death to self, it isn't something that happens when we breathe our last. For those who are in Christ, we come to that place the moment that we trust his death as the most important event in history and certainly in our own lives. And, and that is the beginning of real life for those who gain life by losing their own. And what that secures for us is, is power, and what that secures for us is promise to die as gain and to also live a life that's, that's dead to selfish gain. The, the power to gaining a life that's honored by God which is is the promise here, is finding the assurance in, in this line. Well done, good and faithful servant. That is the reward for all who believe. Serve and follow this Jesus. A life conformed here and now and at the end of our days. Well done, good and faithful servant. And here's the kicker. That is our approval from God in Christ for all who believe. And, and those who believe and serve, and, and those who serve and, and those who serve follow, and those who follow find the honor and the approval of God, not in your obedience, but in his obedience. Our life is just conformed. That's what we get to keep in front of us as we live life, and that's what we get to keep, that's what we get to live out until we die. Scott, uh, the band can come on up, but you better listen to this while you're walking up here. (laughs) Justin, I'm talking to you. Scott saws, he continues, and he says this. No one exists, uh, I'm sorry. uh, Yeah, no one exists in this world unscathed. And some said, amen. Not even Jesus. This is what he's setting up for us. The breath you just took is one more toward your last. Life is wondrous and supremely difficult and then we die. Nobody, even the author of life himself, gets to escape our last enemy, which is death, until some of us do escape it. In a letter wrote from prison, while awaiting execution from, for opposing Adolf Hitler, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote that death is the supreme festival on the way to freedom. And this is what I want you to know. That's true at our end of days. And brother and sister, that's true today. (laughs) That the death of ourself is the supreme festival on the way to freedom. The death and life of Jesus changes the way we live and changes the way we die. We can respond to that. You can sit right where you are. You can stand up and you can sing with the band. I encourage you to do that. Sing with the band. You can pray. You can pray at that prayer bench over there. Someone would love to pray with you over by that red tree over there. Man, about anything. Like you can pray prayers of thanks. They would love to pray with you and celebrate with you. You can pray hard prayers. Things that you're struggling with, they would love to pray with you. For those who are in Christ, this meal is for you. Jesus invites us to share a meal of, of bread and, and, the, and juice to remember his body and blood that was broken and shed for us. And man, just like any meal that you're going to eat with someone, especially when it's representative of, of Jesus himself, repent and turn from your sin before you do that. Don't do this in a way that's un, unworthy or, or dishonors him. And man, if you have beef with somebody else, Make, go and make that right before you share in this meal would you pray with me God thanks for the gift of your word and, and just the beauty of getting to walk through um, the words of John that you shared with us that we might believe and God my prayer today is that, that we might believe for those who have been walking with you for a hundred years wearied and tired Would you encourage him and build him up? Let him know that it's worth it? For those that have never walked with you, not a day in their life, today, would you let that not be so anymore? And we need you. You are enough. Thank you for Jesus. Amen.